live streaming is on. Hello, everyone. Mm. This is Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Welcome to This Week in Bitcoin. Today is February the 21st. 2020. Oh, yeah. Strong hand. Golden age of the 2020s. Bitcoin is the next Bitcoin. In motion. Value your wealth in Bitcoin. It's the apex predator. I'm offended by selling. We're going to talk about that. Unconfiscatable. All right. Hello, my elite friends. Maybe we'll have time for questions. You can type in Bitcoin Meister in there or do a super chat to get my attention. But we've got three awesome guests coming from all around the world. And you love all these guys. They are veterans in many ways. Uh, UK Bitcoin Master here. Boris is here. And Bitcoin Tina is in the house. Oh, yeah. Everyone is really excited. I'm pumped. I spoke yesterday in Long Beach. I'm going to Las Vegas tomorrow. I'm on fire. Pound that like button, people. So let it start off with a quote from the always controversial and fun Bitcoin Tina. Where is the quote? Okay. I'm tired of people blaming Bitcoin whales for knocking the price down. Whoever thought trading Bitcoin, an insanely volatile asset, with leverage uh, deserves to lose their money. Only a complete moron trades Bitcoin with leverage. Every leverage trader is on the way to no coiner. Okay, what is that all about, Bitcoin, Tina? You, I, I'm a guy that's offended by selling, but you seem like you're really offended by selling. Well, I agree with you, Adam. I think that... Um, I think trading generally is really quite hard. I think that it looks easy. It, you know, when we watch, we watch fighters in the ring, we watch ball players. These guys make stuff look easy, but it's not. You get into the ring with a heavyweight champ. You get into the ring with the middleweight champ. You get get on a basketball court with professional players, baseball diamond with professional players, it's not easy. It's a very, very hard game. And when you start to trade, that's who you're trading with. Now, granted, your biggest enemy is yourself when it comes to trading. Most people aren't really very good at it. And most people lie to themselves on how good they think they are at trading. They don't really evaluate what their returns would look like over really long periods of time when you're factoring in taxes as well as your total PL. And I think that what we're going to find for many people is that over the course of a full cycle, you're going to find out that you didn't trade nearly as well as you thought you did. And you're going to find out that you're going to uh, have done a lot better as a hodler. I think that there's a very small percentage of people who are really good, successful traders. And I think that number is actually quite small. And I think that most people are actually quite bad at it. Really good traders benefit a lot from really bad traders. That's whose <laughs> pockets they pick. And I think that 
in a major bull market, which I, I see Bitcoin as being the biggest secular bull market in all of history. And I think that measured o properly measured over a full cycle, which has got to be at least four years, very few will outperform HODL. And uh, <clears throat> I think that given the fact that we watch this thing 24 seven, and that we uh, are very attuned to the price typically. Look, I, I watch the price, but I, I'm not trading. I, I, I have traded over the years. I'm not trading this asset at all. We think that we can buy it well, sell it well. And the worst lies that we tell ourselves, the worst lies that we tell are the lies we tell ourselves. And I think that if everybody I tell this to, they argue with me. They tell me, no, I know what I'm doing. I can do it. And uh, I don't honestly believe that they will find over the course of a four-year period, five-year period, that they will have outperformed simply uh, buying several times, a form of dollar cost averaging, uh, and really looking for long, long-run swing trading. So I, I have no problem if you want to uh, sell a little bit at wherever you think the top is. I don't know where the top is, 50,000, 100,000, 200,000, 400,000, who knows, maybe more. And you want to take something off of this? Sure, go ahead. You're up 5x, 10x, 20x, more. Definitely take some off. Uh, you, you, we might have a, another drawdown, which is significant, and you'll be able to redeploy. You're entitled to spend that money, live well, be able to uh, go out and do the things that you like, buy the things that you like. That's why we do what we do in investing. But shorter term trades are extremely hard. This market reverses itself rapidly. You, the other day we ran up, I don't know, a little less than 10% and we sold off similarly about 10%. I don't know how anybody could possibly trade these things. Um, <laughs> I have yet to come across a trader who doesn't tell me they do very well trading. Well, I want to yeah. get into the leverage aspect of it because the base level for me too is it's similar. Like, how can anyone even trade this? But why are people getting getting leveraged on this stuff? And explain. Well, the, the the argument the argument is this. The argument is well, if I put up a relatively small position, a, a half a percent, a one percent position, and I lever myself five to one, ten to one, and people leverage themselves more they think they can trade it. And, and the problem is that the argument is, well, if I get it right just once and I've made a 10X bet, a 20X bet, a 50X bet, then I can afford to lose X number of times. The real question is, are you really evaluating your P&L properly over a significant time horizon? I think that people are going to find, looking back on this period, that the returns over the course of the next year, two years, three years, four years, maybe anywhere from 20x to 50x. And I think it's going to be pretty hard to outperform. So if, if you, you know, if you had $1,000 and you lost that $1,000, and it turns out that we went from lower numbers, we went from three and 4,000, 5,000, we go up to 300,000, $400,000. I don't think you're going to outperform that. No. <laughs> now, very few people agree with me that we're going to do numbers like that. They think I'm crazy thinking $100,000. People go after guys like Plan B, who says that his numbers show we could do $100,000 potentially within a couple of years. People think that's crazy. I don't happen to think it's crazy. 
I actually expect it. I, I think people go after plan B for the after a hundred thousand dollar predictions. I, I, he, I think, doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't, well, no, no, they, they that doesn't the after hundred thousand dollar predictions don't matter. First, we got to make it to a hundred thousand. Yeah, well, there's some people are very Some people like to clickbait, and some people like to talk about the huge numbers. I don't think uh, I don't think talking about the six digit realm is a uh, is too crazy. I don't think it's too. I don't think that's too wild. I don't think that's. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think the the much bigger numbers are crazy either. And the way I see that is I reflect back on the early 90s when I remember people having a very hard time imagining companies that could trade at the kind of market caps they were trading at. And today, those self-same companies are household names trading at some of the biggest market caps in the world. So I think that what you have in the way of Bitcoin is you have something which is not going to be measured along the lines of companies, but compared to markets. It'll be compared to the gold market. It will be compared to the stock market the global stock market, the US stock market. It will be compared to the bond market. It will be compared to the real estate market. And in time will be bigger than all of those markets and likely bigger than maybe a few of them combined. All right. All right. Uh, looking forward to that. Hey, UK Bitcoin master, you break down, break down trading for us. What's, what's your take on all the people getting leveraged up on the trading? Okay, I'll I'll simplify it for you all because um, many years ago um, I uh, tried to get into trading. I bought a trading course. I went along to to some seminars and I tried to get my head around it, and it just totally freaked me out. And I I didn't want to do it. Um, when Bitcoin came along, and you know, being a novice in May 2017, I knew nothing about Bitcoin. I'd never heard of Bitcoin, and then somebody presented it to me, and I thought I had to trade. So the first thing I did was got on Google and started looking who was out there that could teach me to trade. And I came across a guy that had been on Wall Street for 15 years and he started um, doing all this stuff. And I was following his videos and thinking, this is crazy. I don't understand any of this. I'm now getting a serious headache. So I did some more delving in. I came across a guy called Bitcoin Meister and I followed him for two and a half years solid. And I can tell you now, I don't understand any of it. I don't even want to understand any of it. All I want to do is buy and hold Bitcoin and just enjoy enjoy my life. Doesn't matter what we say, doesn't matter how we profess, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. The only thing that's going to happen is absolutely guaranteed is the fact that Bitcoin will do what it does when it does it and you or I won't influence it in any way. So the only thing I ever want to get out there on my channel is buy, get off an exchange onto a Trezor and get on and enjoy your life and don't wish the next decade away because it's going to come whether we want it to come or whether we don't want it to come. You just well buy and hold hold and enjoy your life. That's oh. my take. I don't understand any more than that, Adam. Oh, pound that freaking like button, people. He put it, he brought it down to the real level there, right there, man. That, that's, How I feel. That's, How I, feel. I, I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, yeah. Don't, don't worry about those price flip fluctuations, long-term thinking. Boris, any, any comments on what we've been talking about here? Yeah. Yeah. A lot. Um, well, first of all, I think when people start to trade, um, they look to the past. And even if you have a 99.9% .9 chance of losing everything, people go like, oh, that means that I have a chance to win a lot of money. That's why people play the lottery. Mm -hmm. It makes no rational sense, but people do it anyway. And 
personally, I don't mind. But I, I think it's an easy door inside the rabbit hole. You have no idea what Bitcoin is, so you trade it because it's worthless, because you don't understand the fundamentals. And once you lose uh, enough money, you will learn this lesson and you will learn more about the fundamentals of Bitcoin. So to be honest, I don't really care about traders that much uh, i don't trade myself there's a guy uh, christopher cole i think he works for this um, uh, investment firm called uh, artemis capital and he, he he tweeted out uh, i think it was in december last year and i retweeted and it it stuck with me for a long time he said volatility is an instrument of truth it is um regardless of how it is measured volatility is the difference between the world as we imagine it and the world that exists and i think that's so beautiful because this price discovery is fundamentally important for bitcoin otherwise we will never reach the levels that plan b is um uh, he's not actually predicting it predicting is a wrong word but this whole stock to flow model um if you believe in that model then the price levels that uh, come from this model are given uh, unless the model breaks of course so if you if you like this model and if you believe in this the, these fundamentals of bitcoin the reasons why this model will work then yeah i mean you're going to lose money if you trade it and you're going to be happy when you huddle it but i regardless i understand both sides i understand i see a lot of people in my surroundings and you know i, I finally get them to buy buy a little bit of bitcoin and i see them again like in six weeks and they are they are on binance <laughs> betting it all away on, on coins you never even heard of and basically that's I don't understand it, but it's happening again. It happened in 2017 and it's happening again and it makes no rational sense, but I guess people just like to gamble and they want to be rich. Yeah, people like to gamble. It's all cyclical. The gamblers will be back. Hey, everybody's got to play their role in the ecosystem, I guess. Now, let's let's move on to something we were talking about uh, off air, uh, something that you want to talk about, Boris, actually. Safe haven uh, asset, Bitcoin, uh, cor coronavirus, what's, what's going on? Yeah, I think this is huge news and it's highly underreported. And um, everyone who follows the financial markets is noticing this crazy dynamic that whenever, I mean, when good news uh, happens, <laughs> the markets go up. When bad news happens, the markets go up. And when worse news happens, the markets go up even more. It's insane. It does, it does make, no, it makes no sense. And so we have this coronavirus threatening uh, between 60 and 80% of China's productions, which is basically, that's everything that we get here in the West from toilet paper to medicine. I mean, there's really, you, you can even start describing the impact um, that these uh, quarantine measures have on the production of China. And we see it starting now in uh, Japan. We see it starting in, in, in uh, South Korea. This is, this is going to be uh, the, the uh, implications of this are going to be absolutely huge. There is no way you should own stock in in, in Boeing or in, in in cruise ship companies or in car production or any production uh, um, a company that that's uh, involved in production in China or gets the parts in some way from China. It is going to be absolutely horrendous. Uh, so what's happening? We see Bitcoin go up. So we see the markets go up and we see Bitcoin go up. And that's very, that's fascinating. We saw it at the beginning. Uh, at first we saw it with the Suleiman uh, assassination. The, the Iranian general was killed uh, near Baghdad. Um, markets went down for a short, 
short period for a small correction and Bitcoin went up, gold went up too. And this was the first time ever. Now we see it again with this coronavirus. Actually, we see it again today. Markets are down a bit. There's a dip. Oh, Bitcoin goes up. It's extremely interesting. And um, I think personally, I mean, you never know, but I think people understand uh, uh, more about the fundamentals of Bitcoin. And when you do that, when, when investors start to understand the fundamentals, it is a natural safe haven. So we'll see this more. It's, it's the first time we've noticed it, but it's huge. It's absolutely huge news. Okay, I'm gonna tie this in with uh, Bitcoin Tina here uh, with an article from, uh, well, it's, it's a title that kind of goes with the flow of what we're saying. Uh, the 30-year uh, treasury yield inches toward all-time low as coronavirus spreads beyond China. Okay, so they're, they're trying to connect uh, the 30-year, the 30-year, 10-year uh, treasury and 30-year uh, treasury yield or 30-year treasury yield to uh, to this. So, what do you have to say about the safe haven aspect? I'm going to disagree pretty strongly with Boris. Okay. I, in fact, I disagree with almost everything he said. Okay. One, Bitcoin is not about the legacy markets. Bitcoin is about an emerging economic paradigm. Bitcoin is neither a safe haven asset nor a risk on asset. Bitcoin is actually both. Bitcoin will do well in a risk off environment and a risk on environment. Bitcoin will do well under all circumstances. Bitcoin will be supercharged because the central banks are flooding the system with liquidity. And Bitcoin as a scarce asset, a verifiably scarce asset will do extraordinarily well in that environment. Some people believe there'll be a hard deflationary crash. I disagree with that pretty strongly. I've been looking for that for 30 years and I'm convinced we won't see that because we'll see continued easing from global central banks. However, if you were to get a global deflationary crash, if you control your own private keys, you will have access to the best money in the world and many people won't get their money back or will get it back only piecemeal. So in that event, you might say that Bitcoin is a safe haven asset. However, prices of Bitcoin will almost certainly crash in that situation, except unlike people who have their money in banks or brokerage firms, you'll get your money more rapidly. Two, after they start easing dramatically, liquidity will flow into assets and it will especially flow into Bitcoin because Bitcoin is a scarce asset. So I don't like calling Bitcoin a risk on asset or a risk off asset. I think Bitcoin is good in all places at all times. And I don't like to limit what the potentiality of owning Bitcoin is. I think it's the, let me put it this way. There is no alternative. <laughs> That's his name. That is his name. There, there. You're, you're, you're limited. All right. So, so Boris, do you have thoughts on that? Yeah. I, I mean, of course, it's a, uh, it's either risk on or risk off. It will always be perceived in that way. And now that we see more institutional investors, I mean, not not the the funds itself, but just people who are into the markets, who are trading, taking Bitcoin seriously, they're gonna uh, judge it. They're gonna look at it and say, like, is this gonna uh, reward me with a high return or not? And uh, once you know more about the uh, about the fundamentals of Bitcoin, you will understand exactly what what Bitcoin Tina is saying. Um, on the other hand, people are still valuing their wealth in dollars, and as long as they're they're valuing their wealth in dollars, what Bitcoin Tina is saying, 
only goes for the Bitcoiners. I mean, if you value your wealth in Bitcoin, of course, it doesn't matter whether the price in dollars goes up or goes down. And I agree that there might not be a crash and Bitcoin will do well in, in any scenario. Uh, but still, most people perceive their wealth in, in dollars, so they will uh, judge uh, Bitcoin as a, as, as a risk on a risk off asset. And I like I like the way uh, that people learning about Bitcoin, understanding the fundamentals, and maybe seeing it more as a risk of asset because it doesn't behave in um, in synchronicity with the markets. And that's uh, I think that's very interesting that people are learning about Bitcoin, understanding the fundamentals. All right, uh, Bitcoin Tina, did you have anything to say about the uh, the Treasury yield? Um, there's a lot of people. Yeah, I just want to I just want to come I just want to come back to this because okay. I think this is really important. And I really could not disagree more. I don't like to limit just because people think about something a certain way doesn't mean they're right to think about, about it that way. And if you fall into that trap of thinking about it as a risk off asset, that means that people will sell, sell it aggressively in a risk on environment. And I think that's completely wrong. At the end of the day, the biggest benefit, one of the reasons stocks are going up as much as they are in other capital assets like real estate is because central banks are pouring enormous liquidity into the system. And Bitcoin is an enormous beneficiary of this. In fact, I think you'll see Bitcoin go up at, at huge multiples and ultimately magnitudes versus every other asset, stocks, real estate, gold, and every other asset that exists out there because Bitcoin is going to grow to levels that people can't imagine because of its qualities as a money as well as its scarcity. The fact that you have inelastic supply, the fact that you have fixed supply. And so when you say that it's a risk off asset, I think you're very much doing people an enormous disservice. And I really take strong issue with this and I don't like it described as that. Gold from my perspective is a truly crappy asset. I hate gold. I'll be on, go on record as saying I don't like gold in any way, shape or form. People do not understand that more than 100 million ounces of gold is produced every year. Yeah. Um, the numbers are enormous. That's $160 billion of new buying power that has to go into gold. I think gold has done reasonably well and as well as one could expect given this because the amount of supply, the amount of new supply that comes into the market every year is enormous. At the next halving of 900 Bitcoin per day, that would price out at $160 billion of new money. If that new money came into Bitcoin based on 900 Bitcoin a day, that gives you an average price in the neighborhood of $450,000 Bitcoin. At the halving after that at 450 Bitcoin per day, that gives you a price in the neighborhood of 900 and almost a almost million dollars per Bitcoin. This idea, and I don't disagree that there are risks out there. I just don't think that those risks are relevant or pertinent to why one buys Bitcoin. Regardless, I think we'll see continued. I, I think we are an inevitable course. Uh, I think we have a reckless train wreck in the global financial markets. I think the central banks will continue doing what they're doing because I think if they ease off on what they're doing, ultimately you have a high risk of a global deflationary crash. I think we live in a world where uh, Negative rates are a high likelihood, not necessarily guaranteed, but very high likelihood. Uh, I think you're going to see continued easing. I think you're going to see more creativity around how uh, central banks ease. 
we'll have more not QE, we'll have QE, we'll have other forms of uh, padding the central bank's balance sheets. No, no, there would be nothing that the central banks do which would surprise me. When I compare what the central banks do today versus how central banks were perceived 25 years ago, the central banks have basically pretty much en masse lost their mind, as has most investors. If I said this in a podcast, if you were to talk to somebody, if we, if we were to go, magically go back in time to 1995 and you had serious Wall Street analysts or economists talking about the kinds of things going on that's accepted as normal in today's uh, financial markets and, and, and activity by central banks, people would think that that person was absolutely off their rocker, out of their mind, and would probably consider removing them from their job if they held a job at a major white shoe firm on Wall Street or any other Wall Street equivalent around the world. Um, this I just don't think can be stated too much. Not only that, I think we have a, a brewing anger amongst the public, and I think that's obvious um, all kinds of movements we see it in many countries, we see it in the United States. This is the level of anger that you see in our politics today. And I think that I will be shocked, absolutely shocked, if we do not see some form of MMT, UBI, some form of massive infrastructure projects, money from the sky from federal governments spent and, 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 and tossed around the economy. And I have said, and will say again, QE is the gasoline and UBI slash MMT is the spark. And I think we see this going everywhere. And, and, and to me, there's no other asset to own but Bitcoin. You have to own, I call it a, I'm not going to curse on your show, I promise, Adam, <laughs> a, w, a WTF asset. And I think everybody knows what that means. Uh, minimum 1% position. If you have a 1% position in Bitcoin, 2% position, if you're a stock investor and you have the rest you know, substantial money in stocks and maybe some money in bonds. If you lose everything in your Bitcoin position, you can write that off against gains of your other investments. It won't even, and I'm talking to the United States, it won't even cost you 1% uh, when you factor in the tax effect of this. So I really, I hear people talk about Bitcoin as a risk off asset and by all means buy it as a risk off asset, but also by all means buy it as a risk on asset as well, because it's much more than either one of those things. It is about an emerging economic paradigm and we're so early in this, I'm sure that most people think I'm off my rocker. Uh, but I saw some really good guys, I can't remember the man's name right now, he talked about uh, the third industrial revolution. I think we will find in the fullness of time, and I hope I live to see this because I'm not young, uh, that we will see an emerging economic paradigm develop. People like Ray Kurzweil, uh, Peter Diamantis have talked about it from Singularity University, as have others. I think that the world is changing in some very significant ways and Bitcoin will very much be a part of it. So regardless of whether it's risk on or risk off, this is an asset you absolutely must own. And you should not be bouncing in and bouncing out because it's risk on and risk off and I'm gonna buy it and I'm gonna sell it and I'm gonna buy it and I'm gonna sell it. And it goes back to the trading comments. I think you want to own it in all times, in all places and have a position that you hold on to, because there may be some period of time where this thing goes up and amounts it you can't possibly imagine, and if you don't have that asset on, you'll be buying it at prices which are unbelievably higher. Sorry for monopolizing the time. Golden age, baby. We're entering a golden age, but not with gold, with Bitcoin. All right, no, no, it's, it's, it's a Bitcoin age. 
Yeah, it's the big – that's a better way to say it. Uh, Boris, since, since uh, you guys are going back and forth, I'll let you get the final word before we get Brian in here. Uh, oh, well, really, I don't disagree with Contina. Everything he says, I, I agree completely with. Uh, uh, my perspective on it is that I, I talk to a lot of people who are uh, starting to invest in Bitcoin, starting to learn about Bitcoin, and they absolutely perceive it. They, they want to know what the risk is, and they understand that if there's a high risk, there's a high probably, there's a high upside, high possible upside. Um, and that explains the volatility, and that's why people trade it and wh whatever, and that's all great. And if they understand the, the I try to talk to them about the fundamentals so that they don't do that. They don't perceive it the way uh, that um, uh, as a risk on a risk of uh, asset. So I absolutely agree with Bitcoin Tina. On the other hand, it takes time. Bitcoin Tina, I'm wondering how long did it take you before you finally realized the, that Bitcoin is this um, fundamental asset, which is uh, a non-correlated, uh, moves outside of the realm of the traditional markets? A year at most. I started studying it very aggressively. Uh, I've had an orientation looking at these issues for many, many years. And I'll give you a suggestion as to how you handle that. Don't oversize yourself. Size yourself on your basis of understanding. If you're going to be shaken out by the extreme price moves, then you own too much. If you can't hold for a move down 50 60%, you own too much. You should be able to expect that you'll have a move that's down significantly. I bought Bitcoin starting in the fall of 2017. My first price was probably in a $4,000 range. And I bought all the way up. And then I bought all the way down. And my average price is not, not a great price and not a terrible price. Um, I think that when it broke from six to 3,000, I started drinking bourbon every day. That was a rough. That was that was very rough for me in in November of 2018, when uh, when I did not think Bitcoin was going to crack from six to three thousand. But I didn't sell any. I actually bought more. Uh, there were people at the time who were talking about thousand dollar Bitcoin, two thousand dollar Bitcoin. I thought they were out of their mind. But I argued pretty aggressively against the idea of potentially four or three thousand dollar Bitcoin. So I wasn't about to argue as strenuously and left myself room to buy if we actually hit those prices because it would have been necessary to get my average down uh, to make money to, to make it through uh, you know, further periods in owning Bitcoin. So you know, if you buy it at $2,000 and it goes to 10, that's a 5X on your money. So that buys you, that buys you a lot of time. Um, you have to be prepared for what this asset is, which is why I'm so against leverage trading and generally against trading. You need to position yourself so that you can handle these very sharp drawdowns. Those drawdowns are opportunity. You should be buying on drawdowns of down 30%, 40%, 50%, 80%. You should not be a seller at those prices. You're giving up massive upside by selling at those prices. So if you can't handle the volatility, your position is just too big. And there is no reason that there is not a single person who should not be able to handle a 1% position with 80% drawdowns. That, that's an easy thing to do. It's very hard to get hurt falling off a curb. You shouldn't be jumping off the roof. So if your understanding is not great, don't own that much of it. And it's these leveraged traders who take these positions who wind up in creating all of this volatility because they panic out of their positions or in leverage in the leverage case they don't have to panic out the the equivalent of the margin clerk liquidates them so 
it creates this cascade of selling. And so it's not the guy who's coming in and dumping 4,000 Bitcoin on the market that's knocking it down. It's all those minnows who have those leveraged trades on that get knocked down and liquidated that takes Bitcoin down $1,000 in five minutes. So I think that there's an easy answer to this. Just don't own as much. If you're not so, if you're not so piggy in your position, you don't have to swing for the fences. Most investors do well by 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 getting on base and you know moving along the bases and gradually clicking in those runs. Get comfortable understanding what Bitcoin is, why you want to own it, why it's an asset you must own. Start off with a half a percent position, a one percent position. Learn about it. Read Safedine's book, The Bitcoin Standard. Read every article by Parker Lewis from Unchained Capital. Any serious investor who's not read every article from Parker Lewis is not a serious investor. They cannot possibly understand this. I keep recommending to people to read the articles on Unchained Capital by Parker Lewis called Gradually Then Suddenly. You have to read those things. If you're a professional investor and you haven't read those things, you have not done any due diligence whatsoever. You don't know what you're looking at. You don't know what you're talking about. If you haven't read the Bitcoin standard, and you've got people who have pretty much no clue as to what they're doing in Bitcoin, take a smaller position. Take a position you can ride. If it gets knocked down 25 or 30 or 50%, do what most hollers do. Say, oh, thank you, God, I can buy more cheaper. Instead of buying a million sats, I can now buy two million sats for the same money. And that's what hodlers do. And that's that's the way to make money in this thing because you want to look at this over the course of a year, two years, five years, 10 years, not over the course of a week or a month of trading. That's what people who don't know what they're doing are doing in Bitcoin. So many people are going to look back at this period of time and say, oh my God, I could have owned so much more. And that's exactly what's already happened in the last 10 years. Whoa, that that was a classic there from Bitcoin Tina, everyone. Okay, well, I'm gonna try, I wanna get Brian back on here because he's been silent for a while. Do, do you have thoughts on what has just, uh, what you've just heard <laughs> here, man? Well, I've just been listening in awe, to be perfectly honest. I come on these shows as a complete novice to learn. And, you know, whenever you've got your This Week in Bitcoin and your guests, I was saying to Boris, I had Boris on as my guest um, about a week or so ago. And I sort of said to Boris, you know, I listen to you on Adam's show and everything you say, you guys, when you start getting technical, goes right over my head. But I'm just in awe of it and I'm learning and all it's doing is building my strong hand. So in terms of where I'm coming from, I don't have a view either way with what Boris has said or what Bitcoin Tina has said. All I can do from my own perspective, and and maybe I'm unique, I don't know, Adam, but you know, I got a call on the 23rd of May uh, 2017. I'd never heard the name crypto. I'd never heard the name Bitcoin. I've never heard of it. Didn't know what it was. I was getting on with my life. I'd retired down to the sunny Canary Islands to see the rest of my life out. And I get this call and it's like in the rabbit hole. And the first thing that I come across is this trading aspect. Then I come across your channel. And then I realize that I don't understand anything about anything. All I know is I need to buy and I need to buy whatever I can as fast as I can because because this thing's going to moon. Right. So I get that out of the way. And then I start to really learn. And I don't know how many of your shows I've watched, but every single one without missing a day, even on catch up. And what I start to realize, it isn't just going to go up and 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 up. 
It is going to go up and up and up, and then it's going to crash. And then you need your strong hand, and it's going to go up and it's going to crash. So in terms of what I've just been listening to, I'm with Bitcoin Tina in as much as I don't know how I know it. I just know that I'm in the right place at the right time, and all I've got to do is stay calm. So I bought my Bitcoins, my first Bitcoin. Bitcoin Tina said $4,000 or something thereabout, I thought he said. Uh, my first one was 1,500 British pounds. Then I brought some more at 2,500 whole Bitcoins. And you know, then I see 2017, and I see the moon of, of um, late 2017, and I think I've died and gone to heaven. And then all of a sudden, I see... It's starting to crash back and I'm thinking, well, that's not going to go anywhere. That'll be all right. And I watch it go down 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 and we get to 3,200 and my hand is absolutely rock solid. I've got my wife in the chat. She supports me. She's following all of this and she will tell you I absolutely don't care what the price of Bitcoin is. I am in it and I'm going down with a ship. And my problem is because I don't understand fundamental, I understand fundamentals. And yes, I've read or I've listened to Saifedean Moose's book two times. It's 11 and a half hours of listening. I left school at 15 with no qualifications. So I wasn't particularly well educated. But that book, I just, I got into it. I couldn't put it down whenever I was out walking or whatever I was doing. I was listening. I had to go back a second time. And whilst I don't understand it all, it makes complete sense. The complete sense is this is the best, hardest, soundest money you are ever going to find in human history that can't be manipulated. And why on earth somebody wouldn't want to get some of their hard-earned money and put it into Bitcoin as opposed to a flipping bank savings account where you'll get nothing for your money? I'm watching my in-laws in their 80s telling me that everything they worked for 45, 50 years for is not worth a flipping jot in terms of what they're getting back for their savings. And yet for me, I clearly see, even though I don't understand the technicals that you guys always talk about, I clearly see that this is the future. Nothing, I can't, on my own shows, you know, from the level of understanding that I've got, in my heart, I just know that if Bitcoin fails, that is it, we are done, it's over, it's finished. This, how can it fail? You know, there is everything going for it. The scarcity aspect for one. I mean, you know, I'm not brainy, but there's 7 billion people on the planet. There's something like 39 million millionaires. So there isn't enough for one millionaire to have one Bitcoin each. So when this thing gains some momentum and everybody wants a slice of it, I'm totally and wholehearted with Bitcoin Tina. This thing is going to go to unparalleled heights that we never dreamt was even possible and none of us can even imagine yet. Now, I don't know when. I've got no crystal ball, but I'm telling you it's going. And if it's not in my lifetime, it's going to be in the lifetime of my descendants that will have my Bitcoin. That's me. That's some that's some long term thinking there too. By the way, that was a that was a good one. You you summed up that it, it, you saved the best for last. It's very very good. I wanna I wanna move it on to to combine into a, a some subject that we were talking about off the air real quick. And Brian, I, I don't think I've heard your take on this yet. Uh, is the having priced in? Don't know. I've got a clue. Go to the others. I don't understand it. <laughs> Very, that's a very honest answer right there. I don't understand uh, it. I'm trying. I'm trying. Sorry, Bitcoin Tina. I am trying to learn, but 
it, you know, it's, 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 it's a new industry. I've never been involved in stocks and shares before. I tried, but it gave me a headache, as I said. And I, I Adam, honestly, I absolutely don't understand it. I'm not going to come on a show and try and rattle on about stuff I, I don't understand. And I, I hear you people talking about it. I listen to the, the commentators that I follow talking about it. And I'm trying to get my head around it, but I just don't understand it. So I can't comment. All right. Bitcoin Tina, say what you said off air about the the uh, having been priced in. I, I've talked so much. Why don't we let... Uh, uh, Bars. Okay. Bars, you're first then. Bars. Yeah. All right. Well, share. Very nice. I believe the the happening, the happening, the happening uh, is not priced in. Uh, the, the question is not so much whether it's priced in or not. The question is why is it not priced in? And um, actually, I like what Plan B said about that. That uh, people who don't understand Bitcoin. Uh, perceive the risk as being high so the halvening might lead to uh, miners uh, who stop mining or who don't make a profit anymore stuff like stuff that we see with litecoin so if you don't understand why that won't happen with bitcoin i can imagine they will perceive something like this as as a risk uh, I do not agree with that, but I can imagine that people will uh, will perceive it that way. And that could be one of the reasons why the halving is not priced in. Um, I, I do believe that there is something as an efficient market hypothesis. And, and I, I, I think it's true, uh, but only up to a certain um uh, uh, up, up to a certain point because uh, otherwise there would be no sense in learning about certain assets or certain uh, uh, markets or companies or whatever then everything would be priced in so it makes sense to study uh, study the stuff that you're investing in and if you know a lot about it uh, uh, like uh, we do with Bitcoin then you know that the halving is probably not priced in and uh, you can only ask yourself the question why is that and it has to do with risk all right, Bitcoin Tina, your turn. I agree with uh, I agree with Boris in what he said. I think that understanding is critical. I've thought about this a fair bit. I was having a conversation with somebody who is going to have uh, a debate today. I don't know if he's had the debate yet or not. And I I, I hate to go into this with with his having that uh, debate. I don't want to take any. Uh, I can't think of the right word for it right now. I, I, I don't want to take away from his debate on this topic. But it occurs to me that in order for determine whether or not something is priced in, we first have to have some kind of metric against which we measure this thing. In my opinion, most of the metrics regarding Bitcoin valuation are extraordinarily poor. I've seen quite a few metrics out there, which I have a very low opinion of. They're generally based around the idea of attempting to measure value related to the numbers of transactions. And I think that this is actually a very bad way of measuring the value of Bitcoin. For me, the way I measure the value of Bitcoin, and I don't know how to quantify this. I'm going to butcher this statement. Albert Einstein said, not all that is important can be counted and not all that can be counted counts. And I think I, I don't think I got that exactly right, but it's close enough. Just because you can count something doesn't mean that gives you the right answer 
in what you're looking for. And just because you can't count it doesn't mean that, that thing is not important. For me, the primary value proposition of Bitcoin is what I like to call the network of hodlers. The same is true in gold. Why is gold valuable? Because people want to hold on to gold. They put value into gold and they hold their positions in gold. Well, that's precisely why Bitcoin is valuable, why it's immensely valuable and why it will become insanely valuable in this decade, in numbers that people can't imagine. It is this effect of the network of hodlers which drives the price and then price drives everything else. Well, very few people agree with me on this and I'm not sure how we measure the network effect of hodlers. I've seen people attempt to measure the size of the transactions and the value of those transactions and how many transactions. And I think the concept of Metcalf's law and attempting to measure Bitcoin is not a particularly good or appropriate one for Bitcoin. If I have a hodler who buys and holds on to one Bitcoin, how many transactions is that worth if a thousand different people hold a Bitcoin for only a third of a day? So uh, it's going to be worth what that one hodler does who holds a Bitcoin for an entire year. I, I, my numbers are rough numbers here. It's not 365 days, but, but you know what I'm saying. Take, take 365 times three and that'll give you the, the number. So it is this demand from people who want to hold on to this asset that gives it its value because these people value what Bitcoin is. And little by little, more and more people will come to understand that this is the primary value proposition of Bitcoin. Ultimately, payment rails will come into play. But how do you measure the network of hodlers? I don't know. It's not that easy. And there's certainly no consensus as to what the network of hodlers is. I have a view that stock to flow is an attempt and gives you a measurement for the valuation put on Bitcoin by that network of hodlers. So when we look at something like stock to flow, the noise around that number is so high, it confuses many people. We started from the last having in the neighborhood of 400 and some odd dollars and traded up to $20,000. And plan B would have said that it would be $8,000 is what it's worth based on the way that it had traded from a period of time. And by the way, supply and demand were both part of that model. So if people say the demand is not part of the model, don't understand pricing because all prices come from supply and demand. And the model projects that out based on one independent variable, stock to flow. Um, so without having a metric by which we can measure it, how do we know whether or not the halving is priced in? So I think this is something we don't tend to think about. When we look at the stock market, we do have metrics. And there is a consensus, and it's not perfect, but there is a consensus by which how we uh, value stocks. We use various measures. We use price to earnings, price to book. We use price to cash flow. We use dividend discount models. We use cash flow discount models. There are all kinds of things that we use. And then you have analysts who estimate earnings and look to make comparisons from one company to another, one company to an industry, one company to the overall market price, price to growth. Um, and all of these different models for valuation create a consensus model for how we value something in the stock market. Well, that barely exists in Bitcoin. So my question is, if we don't have a consensus way 
of valuing Bitcoin. And if possibly what some people are using is way off base, and I think it's way off base, and all we're looking at is massive noise trading, how can you possibly price something in? You can't price it in because most people have no idea what they're doing. There's only a very small number of people who begin to understand what this asset is, why it's as valuable as it is, and why it'll be worth as much as it will be, and why and understand the nature of its scarcity, the qualities that it has as a money, the qualities that it has for controlling your own wealth uh, through controlling your own private keys, and all the things that Bitcoin can do. So I can't see how it can possibly be priced in. We're at a very early stage in this, and I and I marvel. What I find amazing, and, and this is how I can see Bitcoin getting to these numbers that people probably think I'm crazy for thinking. I actually think getting from zero to $180 billion or wherever we are today is much harder than getting from $180 billion to $100 trillion. Because getting from zero to $180 billion is miraculous. Mm. And people underestimate how miraculous it is from an asset which didn't exist, which started off with no value, started uh, <clears throat> operating, got people interested so they wanted to buy some of it and start trading it, and then managed to monetize itself from literally nothing to where it is now. And so I think this asset is phenomenally misunderstood. I think it is phenomenally undervalued. And I call Bitcoin the least expensive. I'm trying to remember what I say now. What do I say? It is the highest quality, least expensive, most misunderstood asset in the global markets today. Well said. Really well said. And you said something controversial in there, too, that it's going to be easier to get to. A, you picked the number $100 trillion. Um, I, I'm not going to get into a debate about that. I, I would. That's a tremendous. I mean, that's a third of the world's wealth right there. No, I, I actually, no, that it, it's much more than a third. I mean, it's much less than a third of the world's, world's wealth. Today, stocks are in the neighborhood of 80 trillion ish, bonds are in the neighborhood of 250 to 300 trillion ish, real estate's in the neighborhood of 250 to 300 trillion ish, uh, gold is 8 trillion, currencies are 90 trillion. It's much less than, than a third of the wealth. And uh, I think that Bitcoin will be pretty much the only real global store of value that exists in the world. And that store of value will come out of pretty much every asset because it is verifiably scarce. Think how amazing that is that you have something which is scarce and liquid. We don't have anything other than gold that we can compare, which is both scarce and liquid. We have things which are scarce, like art, special real estate. But of art and special real estate, they tend not to be very liquid. Uh, stocks, stocks seem to be uh, produced by Wall Street fairly easily. That doesn't mean that all stocks are good. Um, but And it doesn't mean that all companies are wonderful or special, but companies are very different things. They each have their own idiosyncratic risk. They have business risk associated with what they do. Money ought to have no idiosyncratic risk. And although some people would tell you, and, and, and I'm weak here, so here's where I'm really going to go out on a limb. 
I think the social layer of Bitcoin actually protects Bitcoin from some catastrophic outcomes related to technology because you have people who don't agree with me that <laughs> and work very hard to prevent such outcomes and are constantly uh, looking for potential uh, problems that may come about. And fortunately, these people do take this attitude, which is an extremely conservative attitude about Bitcoin. Um, I don't want to go out on that limb, but I, I, I think the odds of catastrophic failure are actually fairly small. And I think that we have already seen uh, there is at least one incidence that Andreas Antonopoulos talks about where uh, you had to have a rollback to a uh, an earlier version of Bitcoin Core. Um, but I'm not technical and I, I, I don't really want to go out on, on this particular limb because it's not an area where I have strong expertise and others who know much more can discuss it far better than I can discuss it. And I want to be careful in this area. I want to go back uh, real quick and just point out something for everyone that's watching this uh, tape. You can go back when he was saying how to measure the network of holders. That is a great question. That is a great question. How how what is the proper measurement of the network of holders? We we shall see. I, I I'm a I, I have trust in, in uh, all the minds out there that will get a great uh, metric for that and uh, will put everything in perspective and and, and show us uh, why we right now can't say the uh, having is. Uh, priced in because we don't have the proper uh we don't have the proper metrics right now uh but i i i want to move on from this uh beautiful talk by uh bitcoin tina into something that some news of the week because again we gotta we do have to cover some of the news of the week real quick uh and one of one of one of the things that happened there was some uh exchange that i never heard of called fcoin uh that went down the tubes but it wasn't a hack actually it was it wasn't a hack they were practicing uh, fractional reserve uh, uh, lending over there. Uh, they didn't have what they had. Well, they didn't fractional reserves. Period. They did not have uh, the the Bitcoin they they said they had. Uh, and I want to ask uh, Boris. I don't know if you're familiar with what happened at Fcoin, but do you do you see this happening more and more? That since we all these exchanges out there aren't required to show a proof of reserves, why not? Why not just? Uh, Fake the amount of Bitcoin. Fake it until you make it, and then uh, when you get busted, just uh, run away. Yeah, what what I liked about this uh, uh, this particular case was that they were quite open about it. Usually, we get all these like shenanigans, and there's some some play, and people disappear or whatever's going on. But but now they just send out a press communique and they said, yeah, we were doing fractional reserve and we couldn't afford to uh, to pay everybody their Bitcoin back. <laughs> That's what it is. And there's nothing more to it. I like their, I mean, they were open about it. Everybody who puts their uh, uh, Bitcoin in a custodial service like this runs this risk. Yeah, so they might, basically it sounded like they were assuming that people already knew they were running this risk and were just open about, yeah, you lost your money too bad. Nothing we can do about it. And to be honest, I like I like that. I mean, most other uh, exchanges should do the same thing and just tell everybody, well, you can leave your your Bitcoin here on this exchange, but you'll run the risk of losing all of it. Yeah, this is this is the space we're we're playing in, people. Here, that another reason not to trade uh, because there is no proof of reserves. So you must assume uh, that, especially the ones that are totally not regulated and outside of the Western world, that, that, that they're they're practicing something like this. <clears throat> Uh, uh, Brian, did you have a take on this? 
Yeah, uh, you know, <clears throat> like Boris said, it's refreshing that they were honest about it. Um, but, you know, again, coming from a, you know, a not understanding all this point of view, you know, I, I, I was rather hoping in an ideal, idealistic world, this sort of stuff wouldn't go on in Bitcoin because we've had enough of it with the old financial model, of, you know, fractional, fractional reserve lending. But, you know, it, it's clearly unless there is something put in place where, you know, proof of reserves is there, it's going to continue to happen. And, you know, I was only saying on my show yesterday, you know, I can see very soon another Mount Gox happening somewhere. There's going to be a huge, you know, a huge um, exchange. Something's going to happen. And you just don't want any of your Bitcoins on an exchange. The only thing, you know, unless if you're a trader and you're in, or out, in and out of exchanges, well, hey, listen, fair play to you. Way to go. Not for me. Um, it is about, you know, accumulating, getting an offer on that exchange, controlling your own private keys. You know, this is going to happen as Bitcoin gains momentum, gains traction. We head into the balls again. You know, it's going to become we're going to hear more and more about this. So, my only advice is just get it off an exchange. Don't leave anything on an exchange that you don't need to be there. No, I, I, I agree that we're going to have something like Mt. Gox. I bet it might not even be at an exchange, though. It might be at one of these DeFi platforms, which yep. we'll get into in a second, actually. But I do uh, a, a Bitcoin Tina proof of reserves, fractional reserve, fractional uh, reserve uh, exchanges. Do you have any uh, thoughts on that? No, I agree pretty much with what uh, Brian just had to say. Yeah, excellent. Excellent summation there. All right. Well, let's get into the other news of the week. Uh, and it's been de DeFi has been a flavor of the month lately. Okay. People are excited about DeFi. It's bringing a lot of new people into the space. No doubt about it. Traditional investors like that kind of thing. Oh, I, I can get interest on my holdings. But as Chris Black has pointed out, who's a big fan of DeFi, this stuff is centralized. It's not decentralized, and it can it can be stolen from very easily. So we're getting these tremendous honeypots. Uh, and so this week we 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 saw a well we, we saw a loss of funds. Was it a hack? I don't know what you want to call it. Uh, do you have thoughts on this, Boris? Um, well, whoever did it is obviously really really good at understanding how these systems work. Uh, when when I read. Uh, what actually went on? It, it it blew my mind because how this the way this DeFi uh, smart contract work it, it worked is that they um, uh, you actually borrow the money and have to pay it back in the same transaction. So in this one transaction, this guy manages to pump the price on one exchange and uh, uh, buy stuff on another exchange uh, or sell stuff on another exchange and return the money and walk away with a profit. Um, yeah, this is extremely interesting. The the the, the bug was actually in the way that the contract um, gets the price information from this exchange that wasn't was obviously not very liquid. So um, yeah, what went on is behind the scenes with these contracts is really hard to find out. So people were actually making an effort, learning about how this works. Yeah, they can game the system, and that's what happened here. Um, yeah, actually, I applaud them for it. Again, they're teaching everybody who gets involved in stuff a very, very valuable lesson, possibly more valuable than the funds they lost because it wasn't that much. It was about $500,000 or something. Okay. Um, Brian, your thoughts on uh, DeFi and is it uh, centralized? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's simple, my thoughts. 
if you want to lose your Bitcoin, go and do something with DeFi, buy and hold Bitcoin. That's all I've got to say on it. Baby, I like that. That's a good, that's a good way. Keep it simple, people. If you don't understand what you're getting into, you probably shouldn't be getting into it. Tony Traveler sent 20 bucks. And he's thank you for the support, Tony Traveler. He says, strong hands. And dude, I will be traveling real soon. I'm going to unconfiscatable. Uh, in Las Vegas, that should be an interesting time. They're already over there, aren't they? Uh, I hey, Bitcoin Tina, have I ever asked you about DeFi? Do you have any thoughts on DeFi? I want to quote Parker Lewis. Excellent. Definancialization is the real DeFi. <laughs> oh, oh, baby, that is good, man. Pound that profound. <laughs> That is that is awesome. All right, that's those are good words to uh, to sum up the uh, DeFi situation that we experienced this week. But hey, guys, you're going to hear more and more about this in the news. Uh, people are going to get into it no matter what. Uh, there are all sorts of gamblers out there, and hey, who knows what the, what will come about uh, mm. in, in the next uh, few months from all that. Uh, let them do what they're going to do over there. That's what I say. It, you you got to take care of yourself. Stick with the rock. Bitcoin. Okay, so let's see what else we have here. Uh, we talked about the we have fractional reserves. All right, I guess we're uh, at the uh, pretty much uh, at the end of the show here. Uh, but oh, my European friends, anything you want to say about uh, Europe situation that we might not know about uh, in, in North America, Boris? What do you mean, Europe? Europe situation in North America? No, 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 just uh, any news uh, coming out of Europe in terms oh, of... Oh, well, you had uh, Simon on um, yeah. uh, uh, some time ago. He's an, uh, a Dutch lawyer, and he's uh, heavily involved with the way that the government is trying to regulate um, Bitcoin companies, basically. We've seen a couple of companies leave uh, the Netherlands, Deribit being one of them, uh, and they're by far the largest uh, uh, Bitcoin company in the Netherlands, probably in Europe. Uh, they're doing hundreds of millions uh, a month. Uh, they're next to BitMEX. They're one of the biggest companies. They've moved to, uh, to Panama. Uh, some other con uh, companies have let left uh, as well. And what's interesting is that uh, these really strict FATF regulations are being put into place by a government who denies that they're actually uh, taking away basic fundamental rights that people have, rights to privacy, for instance. And um, yeah, that's not happening. And uh, I mean, uh, those rights are not uh, um, recognized. So we have this this government that's actually on a uh, on a collision course with with Bitcoiners, and that's a big problem. And I see, um, uh, I see some some real implications for this in the future. Uh, we're not exactly at the end of this process. There's going to be there's some back and forth between different government uh, agencies about this. But once these rules will be put in place, basically large financial institutions and banks will be the only. Uh, companies able to hold and sell uh, Bitcoin, and when once that happens, you'll get the situation where you have this gray Bitcoin market and a white Bitcoin market, and official white Bitcoin market will be uh, through the uh, financial institutions. And I could send if I have a bank account with some Bitcoin in it, I could send these funds to someone else, but only in another 
official uh, uh, custodial account, which is regulated by some financial institution. Yeah, this is a huge problem. It's absolutely a huge problem. And um, uh, I, I agree with what uh, Bitcoin Tina said earlier. I mean, I'm, I'm bullish as, as, as can be, but these kind of hurdles has to be overcome first. And uh, yeah, this, this government regulation thing is going to turn a lot of people off on Bitcoin. And that that's, yeah, that's really a shame. It, it turns away these companies. It turns away innovation. It's absolutely ridiculous. But but it's, but it's going on. This subject matter uh, that you and Simon ha have now talked about on the show, I mean, you don't really hear about this, at least in the English-speaking world or in the North American sphere here. Not many people are talking about this, and I really appreciate that you and Simon have, have brought it to this show, this, this subject matter, and we're, we're keeping an eye on it. Best guest in the freaking space, people. I, I'm bringing you different stuff you're not going to read about on, on, on the mindless media out there, on the fancy sets and graphics videos, you're going to hear about it here. And I love, I love these guys. And Boris, you're the one who told me about Simon. We got to get him back on the show uh, a, a pretty soon. All these dudes, by the way, that have been on the show today, best guests in the freaking space, they are linked to below their Twitters. So follow them if you don't already. You should. They're great. Um, I, I want to go to Brian real quick. Uh, any, any England news you have? Or do you have any thoughts also, by the way, Brian? Uh, I guess on bigger news, and I think you heard about this, Morgan Stanley looks to acquire E-Trade. Uh, do, do, do you think that's a sign of uh, acquisitions in, in the cryptocurrency space? Perhaps, uh, perhaps if, uh, you know, if they're willing to pay uh, $13, uh, $13 billion for E-Trade, uh, is Coinbase going to be purchased? Do you have any, any thoughts about that? Well, uh, I don't really have any thoughts. I have heard about it. But, you know, for me, you know, again, as a, as a layman, I just see this as, you know, everything's moving in the right direction. That's what I see it as. Um, I do want to just shout out. Um, I, I'm not aware of much news going on here in the UK, but I was pretty disappointed that Bottle Pay shut its doors, you know, as a way of taking lightning payments. Um, but because of the KYC element, it decided that rather than compromise its customers and give their details over it would shut its doors which was pretty sad it, you know i mean very ethical from bottle pay to do that you know but equally there's another company a lightning company that's gone to the wall because <coughs> you know us wanting to keep our privacy and them wanting to keep our privacy and the government saying hand it over us we'll shut you down so basically well you won't shut us down we'll shut ourselves down but a good company that went to the wall that's pretty well all i'm aware of here i mean yeah i have heard about what's going on with this acquisition and for me personally uh, i i can only see that as a huge positive for the space all right Bitcoin Tina, uh, you have any uh, closing thoughts or anything? We're, we're here at the end of the show. Anything that we talked about a lot today, anything you wanted to add to that you've already said or some thoughts you had that weren't brought up? I think I've said enough, haven't I? <laughs> no, it's never enough. People want to hear more. The world is not enough. That was the name of the movie. Pound that like button. But no, no seriously, this is your time, your conclusionary thoughts part of the show. I don't have anything else to say. Oh. Thank you. Baby, baby, a man, a few words right now, but before lots of words. All right, guys, uh, let's hear, uh, Brian, your conclusionary thoughts. 
Well, firstly, thank you uh, for having me back on the show. I know there's a couple of times you asked and I, I wasn't available, but it's great to be back on the show. I also want to say it was superb to be listening to Bitcoin Tina and I could listen to him all day. You should ha have had the show with him alone because it was superb. Not decrying you, Boris. You know, we had a great time on when I interviewed you as well. But, you know, Bitcoin Tina is just incredible in my view. Controversial, yes. Um, tend to use a lot of his tweets um, on my show. Um, but that was superb. Um, if I can, you know, I do have my own YouTube channel, Bitcoin for Beginners. Am I allowed to plug that? Is that okay? Heck yeah, pound it, baby. Yeah. yeah so people, just check me out, ukbitcoinmaster.com. Um, Bitcoininterviews.com is where I've done all my interviews today, including Boris last week. I've had Adam on. You're coming back on. Adam, you don't know it yet, but you are. Um, I'm trying to get Simon Dixon on as we speak. I'm in communication with his PA, I guess you call it. Um, Vortex has been on, Ansel Lindner, many others. So check bitcoininterviews.com uh, out. But I do want to give a quick shout out, if I may, to a cause that's going on that very few people are getting to hear about. And that is a cause for a lovely gentleman from Cleveland in Hawaii, Ohio called Pastor Phil. Um, very astute, very switched on Bitcoiner, brought lots of people into the space, doing a simple Trezor firmware update and was scammed out of 14.2 Bitcoin. And I've just got this philosophy and this belief in humanity that if thousands and thousands of people do a little bit, we can make a difference. And I'm not going to let up on this until we've got Phil some of that Bitcoin back, particularly if you read the man's story. 16 years as a pastor in the church, work within the American military. Him and his family took in disadvantaged children and adopted them as their own. And he was building his Bitcoin for his family when he was gone and the whole lot was hacked. How would you feel, people, if you had 14.2 Bitcoin today and tomorrow your wallet said zero because you made a tiny error that anyone could make, never mind somebody has switched on as Pastor <coughs> Phil. So please, I implore all of you, if you've got a tiny bit of Litecoin kicking around, be Rhodium or even a bit of Bitcoin, head over to BitcoinStolen.com and put a tiny donation in there. Pastor Phil messages me every single time a donation comes in with, bless the Lord, somebody's donated $7 and he is such a a humble man. And sorry, I am going to take this opportunity. People go and send flipping Bitcoin to blasted Peter Schiff that does not need it. Send a little bit of Bitcoin to this lovely pastor out in Cleveland who desperately needs it. That's me. Thanks oh. for having me on the show, Adam. I greatly appreciate it. Oh, awesome. Pound that like button, people. Check out the URL that he talked about. Boris, you get the final word. Uh, well, thanks for having me, uh, Adam. It's always a pleasure. Uh, again, uh, uh, yeah, I like it. I love talking to Bitcoiners. It was a, a, an honor to be on the show with Bitcoin Tina. I always love to hear him talk. It's uh, uh, Yeah, it's great. So, guys, thanks a lot, and uh, I wish you all a very good night. All right, dudes. That was a classic show. Remember, we do this every freaking Friday. Who knows what time it comes on? It's This Week in Bitcoin. I do a new show here every day. So, of course, please uh, tune in every day. That's a conviction for you right there. Strong hand conviction. You know you get that here. Best guest in the space here. Thank you, guest. It was really a great time. Hey, tomorrow I'm going to be in Las Vegas. Perhaps I'll see some people in Las Vegas tomorrow. Shabbat Shalom, everybody. I'm Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Remember, subscribe to the channel. 
Like the video, share the video, check out the links below, pound that like button. See you all. Have a great weekend, everybody. See Cheers, you everyone. Bye-bye. See ya later. Thank you.